الحمد لله رب العالمين وأصلي وأسلم على من بعث رحمة للعالمين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين وبعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله وكم brothers and sisters to the third week of the tafsir class we're on surah al-fatiha inshallah today i'd like to spend most of the session on the central part of surah al-fatiha we covered some of it last week and also before i go into that i'd like to mention one other virtue of surah al-fatiha because there's many virtues and we didn't get a chance to discuss the virtues because if we did that in the first session we wouldn't make a start on the actual tafsir. One of the things about Surah Al-Fatiha is the way it takes us into a private conversation, intimate conversation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You and I, we don't receive revelation. Revelation has finished with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa No other human being receives revelation as we know after the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa but Surah Al-Fatiha is our private, personal, individual connection, conversation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, قَالَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَىٰ قَسَمْتُ وَالصَّلَاةَ بَيْنِ وَبَيْنَ عَبْدِي نِسْفَيْنِ وَلِعَبْدِ مَا سَأَلْ فَإِذَا قَالَ الْعَبْدُ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ قَالَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَىٰ the Prophet he said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that I have divided the prayer, a salah, between me and my slave, my servant. I've divided it into half. And for my servant is whatever he asks for. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying basically in this surah, the dua that's contained in Surah Al-Fatiha, whatever you ask for, whatever I ask for, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, He will give that. <clears throat> and here, qasamtu uh, as-salah, I have divided the prayer. Here is not, is not the prayer prayer. It's not salah that we do. It's referring to Surah Al-Fatiha. Another name is as-salah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَإِذَا قَالَ الْعَبْدُ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ That when the servant says, الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ Praise and thanks and shukr and the rida is all belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Lord of the worlds, the sustainer of the worlds. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that indeed um, my servant has praised me. My servant has praised me. So when you're in Salah, when you recite Surah Al-Fatiha on your own, you can take a small pause after this first part of the sentence. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. And imagine Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is responding to you. He's saying that my servant has praised me. How will that transform our Salah? If we think, obviously you can't take a a long pause between ayahs, you can take a very small pause. But imagine the frame of mind, the focus, the concentration in the salah, if you think, if you remember and recall that you're speaking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And He is responding after every ayah. 
<coughs> and then when you say وَإِذَا قَالَ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ قَالَ اللَّهُ تَعَلَىٰ أَثْنَ عَلَيَّ عَبْدِي that when you say الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ the most gracious, most merciful Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says my servant has extolled me or again a different type of praise and then when he says مَالِكِ يَوْمِ الدِّينِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says my servant has glorified me so with each ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is responding and he's calling you his servant what better position to be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then when he says إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says هَذَا بَيْنِي وَبَيْنَ عَبْدِي وَلِعَبْدِ مَا سَأَلْ when the servant says you alone we worship and you alone we seek aid and help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says this is between me and my servant and for my servant is whatever he asks so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is already affirming your ubudiyah your tawheed that you only worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he's already affirming that you only rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala <clears throat> and then when he says <coughs> guide us to the straight path when he says ihdina as-sirat al-mustaqim sirat al-ladhina an'amta alayhim ghayri al-maghdubi alayhim wa dallin qala hadha li'abdi wa li'abdi ma sa'al so when you say the rest of surah al-fatiha guide me to the straight path guide us to the straight path the path of those whom you have favored not of the path of those who went astray or those upon whom your wrath is. And then again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds, li'abdi. This is for my servant. Whatever he's saying, he's going to get. So if you're asking for guidance, you will be guided. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is promising that, وَلِعَبْدِ مَا سَأَلْ That my, for my servant is whatever he asks. And this doesn't happen with any other surah. This is Surah Al-Fatiha. After every verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is conversing with you and I directly. He's saying this after every verse. This is amazing virtue of Surah Al-Fatiha. And one of the other things we, we should remember is that praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is no small thing. Just think, imagine of all the salahs in the world that all the people are praying. How many billions of Muslims from beginning of the uh, time of the Prophet ﷺ up to now? <clears throat> how many millions, millions and billions of Muslims do salah? And in every salah, when you come up from ruku, what do you say? Rabbana alhamd, yes, if you're following the imam, if you're praying on your own or if the imam is praying, what does this mean? What does this mean? Anyone? Huh? Whatever you say, Allah is hearing. Allah hears the one who praises him. This is not just a statement, it's a dua. When you come up, it's in the past tense, but it is a dua of every believer for you. When you say Alhamdulillah. So 
constantly, every minute, every hour, every day, every single musalli, every single person who is praying, their du'as are coming to you. If you praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as he should be prayed, uh, praised, praised with sincerity, with full understanding, with love and devotion. Isn't this enough of a blessing just from Alhamdulillah, subhanAllah? So this is one, one of the, or two of the virtues of the surah. We go into, um, <clears throat> Now, so far in the surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking in the third person, if you like. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Praise be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Lord of the worlds. It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of a sudden, after Maliki Yawmuddin, there is a shift to the first person now. Now, you are speaking. Meaning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's words, but you are now addressing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُوا So there is a sudden shift, a dramatical shift. It's now you talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what are you saying? You are saying you alone, Everyone knows the meaning of this. You alone we worship and you alone we seek help from. But this verse is the central pillar of Surah Al-Fatiha. This verse is also the central pillar of the whole Quran. And this verse contains the two central pillars of the whole deen, which is Tawheed, Ubudiyya, Tawheed and Ubudiyya, meaning worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, to be in a state of servitude, and then Isti'ana, Tawakkul, only to rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the whole deen, this is the entirety of the deen in this sentence. <clears throat> al dahaq narrated that Ibn Abbas, radiallahu an, he said, Iyaka na'budu. It means, it is you, O oh Allah, whom we single out, whom we fear, and whom we hope in. You alone, our Lord, and none else. <clears throat> and they said in, in Sharia terms, this sentence, just um, it contains in it the perfection of love, kamalul mahabba wal khudu wal khawf. All of love, khudu, uh, is to, um, in a way, bow your neck to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Bow your heads to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To submit yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And khawf is fear, fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And these two expressions are found in other verses in the Quran. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَعْبُدْهُ وَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَيْهِ وَمَا رَبُّكَ بِغَافِلٍ عَمَّا تَعْمَلُونَ Worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَيْهِ And rely upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the meaning of إِيَّاكَ nasta'in. It's not just seeking help, but it's only reliance on Allah alone. Tawakkul. Total reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Nobody else. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in another verse, he says, "Qul huwa ar-Rahman, amanna bihi wa alayhi tawakkalna." He say, "He is ar-Rahman. We've believed in him, 
and upon him we rely. And then, Rabbul Mashriqi wal Maghribi la ilaha illahu fattakhidhu wakila. The Lord of the uh, East and the West, la ilaha illahu, there is no none, no other deity, no other God apart from him. Fattakhidhu wakila. Take him as the one you rely on. Take him as the one you rely on. So this meaning is, is found in other places of the Quran. Now, the problem is, what is the meaning of this ubudiyah? What does it mean, ibadah? What does it mean, iyyaka na'budu? What, what, is, what is the actual meaning? How is it supposed to manifest in our lives? What does it look like? What does this ibadah look like? First of all, let's look at the word abd. And ibadah comes from the word abd. Ibadah is translated usually as worship. <clears throat> but worship doesn't cover the meaning. As most English words, when you translate from the Arabic, it doesn't give the full meaning. Because often the Arabic words have several different dimensions or, or aspects of a meaning. So you can say ibadah, there are five aspects to ibadah in just the word in just the word ibadah. The first one is atta'ah, which is obedience. Ibadah means obedience. When you say, Iyaka na'budu, you say, you're saying that you alone, we obey. You can't say you, you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're the abd of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're the servant, slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but you don't obey him. It's not possible. Linguistically, it's not possible because ibadah, means obedience. Tadallul is the second meaning, which is to become humble, to submit yourself, to lower yourself, uh, to become easy. You become easy, meaning you, you submit your nafs, your body, everything to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The third meaning is khudu'. Khudu' is to be physically submissive to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To physically submit your, your, your physical being to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's not just Islam is in my heart. It's not just I'm a believer in my heart. And I love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No, if you say you are Abdullah, if you say you, are, you do ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it can't be just in your heart. There has to be khudu. There has to be a physical submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the acts of worship through the actions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has asked us to do. Fourthly, it's not enough to be submissive. It's not enough to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not enough to physically submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number four is mahabba. The meaning of ibadah is mahabba. That you have to do so out of love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have to do it out of love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَتَّخِذُ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ أَنْدَادًا يُحِبُّونَهُ كَحُبِّ اللَّهِ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَشَدُّ حُبًّا لِلَّهِ That they are amongst the people who have set up rivals with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they love those rivals as they should love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But those who believe, they are much more intense and, and deep and devoted in their love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this ta'a, this obedience, this khudu' 
this tadallul, this submission has to be out of love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we'll come to how we can view that and how we can develop that in ourselves. And number five, there has to be fear. It's also khawf. Ibadah, the word, has also the meaning of khawf. That you also fear the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or you fear your own failing that will lead to the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You fear the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You fear the hellfire. You fear the day of judgment. You fear disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is also in the meaning of ibadah. So how many meanings do we have? Five. Obedience, ta'a. Number two is tadallul, which is to become humble, submissive. Khudu' is to physically submit. And then mahabba, to do it out of love. And number five, to have khawf, to fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And another word which abd or, or ibadah comes from is if you've ever been to the countryside or back home where the roads are not paved, you see a path along natural land, a path where many, many people have traveled on. It's, it's become a natural path. What does it look like? It's lowered, it's flattened. That is, the, the Arabs call it tariqun mu'abbadun. Tariqun mu'abbadun. A, a path that is well trodden. It's from the same root of abd. Meaning the slave, the servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is low. Meaning lowered himself or herself for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they said that the highest point of ibadah, of ubudiyah, of servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to make yourself the lowest. Imagine yourself as nothing. Lower yourself. Lower your uh, ego, your, your arrogance. Lower your nafs. And then think of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the most exalted, the highest, the most powerful. Meaning create the distance in terms of uh, power and, and who you are between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the highest and you and I are the lowest. That is ubudiyah. But yet at the same time beautifully when you bow down and, and at the lowest point you bow your head, forehead on the ground. That is the lowest a human being can get. Bowing your head on the ground for somebody is the lowest physical, uh, psychological and spiritual state you can be in. And yet, this is the closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you bow your head, when you lower yourself for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you are the closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is a secret of ubudiyah. Because when you read about ubudiyah, servitude, you know, from the word abd and ibadah, you might think, well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing us as slaves or servants. And you might have this thing in your back of the mind that servants, slaves, they're, they're, they're humiliated, they have no freedom, they have no izzah, you know, they have no honor, they have no dignity. It's kind of negative in one sense. Obviously, compared to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are nothing. Obviously, that shouldn't come in our mind. But as a Muslim, as a believer who's trying to internalize this, the thing may come in our mind that, you know, this word slave, 
um, is this how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees us? Uh, dishonored, lowered, humiliated. No. The secret of this slavehood to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the, the more of a slave you can become, the more of a humble, uh, hu, hu, uh, full of humility you can become, the higher you become with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanalladhi asra bi'abdihi. Glory be to the one who took his slave, his servant, on the night journey. Who is this slave? Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi He is the highest of creation. He is the closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But he's been described by the word abd. Because in Allah's sight, this is the highest. So this is the secret of ubudiyah. And also the Arabs use the word mu'abbadun for a horse or camel when you break a horse. A wild horse, when you break it, so you bring it under control. So you can ride it, it will listen to you, it will obey your commands. Is, is also the word is mu'abbadun. So this is what happens to the believer. That we are broken in terms of our nafs, our lower desires. We, we become, we, become uh, we put the reins of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on us. So we are guided and controlled by the sharia, by the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is another meaning of abd and ibadah. The other point to say about ubudiyah is about human nature, fitrah, and the need for ibadah. We have been created in such a way that no matter what we do, no matter where we seek satisfaction from, this whole dunya and everything in it will never satisfy us. It will never satisfy us. What did the Prophet say about this? He said, if you give Bani Adam a mountain of gold, he will want another one. Right? If you give Bani Adam a mountain of gold, he would want another mountain. Meaning our desires to, to own and to have and to consume is never ending. Until what? Until we bite the dust. That you will be competing, vying with, with one another. To, to amass possession, wealth, material things until you visit the, the graves, until you go inside your graves, or there's other explanations, but until you die. So the human being, its nature is to want and desire more and more. But the fitrah has been created in such a way, you will never ever be satisfied, no wealth, no material things of this life can ever satisfy you. It's impossible. You will not be content. You will not be satisfied. It doesn't matter how rich and wealthy and powerful you become. It will not satisfy your fitri need. Your natural, inherent, built in by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is a thirst. There is a hunger. There is a hole in the soul. There is a need in the heart. There is a restlessness in the heart which can never be satisfied through material things. It can only be satisfied through ibadah, ubudiyah, recognizing the khaliq, recognizing the creator, knowing your role, knowing your purpose in life, 
which is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to become a servant, slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. أَلَا بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ تَطْمَئِنُّ الْقُلُوبِ Isn't it by the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the hearts become tranquil, become still? This is the thirst of the heart. The only thing that will satisfy it is ubudiyah, remembrance of Allah, worship of Allah, slavehood to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the only thing that will satisfy it. The other thing is by entering into a state of ubudiyah, of servitude, of slavehood to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are aligning ourselves to the rest of creation. Everything else in this creation is in ubudiyah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The stars, the sun, the moon, the birds, the animals, the earth, the rain, everything, the oceans and the rivers and the trees and the stone, every single thing is in ubudiyah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning, it follows the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It works and operates within the system, the sunan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is only human beings who choose not to do. So by entering into a state of servitude and slavehood, we join the rest of creation, the rest of the universe in ubudiyah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another point which is very important that the fact of this duty of ubudiyah, of ibadah, of listening to Allah, of following His commands, where does it come from? Is it coming from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the commander, the hakim, who, who will be angry when you disobey Him? Or is it coming from Ar-Rahman, the merciful, from His love? Most people imagine the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sharia, and his commands in a very legalistic way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's the hakim. He's the commander. He commanded you to do this. This is fardakhi. You have to do it. If you don't, you're in the hellfire. You have to do X, Y, and Z. If you commit this sin, Allah will punish you. It's a very black and white authority and, and you have to follow it. And we take on this kind of attitude as well as, as Muslims, especially the activists. We take on this kind of attitude. Allah is the hakim. He's given you the hukum. And you're the mukallaf. You're the one who's responsible to implement his ahkam. And you have to do this. And this is a very kind of, it's, it's just following the khawf aspect. It's following the khawf aspect. But we have to realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us all of his commands. His sharia. His guidance in the Qur'an from a position of love and mercy. Surah Al-Fatiha begins, the Qur'an itself begins with the first revelation and every surah except for one surah begins with Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. And even then in Surah Al-Fatiha, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahmanirrahim. The, the Rahman and Rahim is there before you get to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all of these teaching, all of his guidance, all of his laws and he sent his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa as what? Rahmatan lil alameen even his messenger who is carrying the guidance and his ahkam 
and all of his commands. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes him as what? Mercy. A mercy to the worlds. Rahmatan lil alameen. So all of this is coming from a position of mercy and love. We may not realize it. We may not, it may be hard to think that, subhanAllah, you know, everything seems so frightening. Day of judgment, you know, the hellfire, if you disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you, you know, Allah's going to get angry. Yes, that bit is there. But realize the entire sharia is for your benefit, is my benefit. The entire sharia is there because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is merciful and he loves each and every one of us. It is out of his mercy and love that he has given you these laws, that he's given you the Quran, that he's given you the Prophet as a model to follow. Because all of sharia, it benefits us. The scholars summarize the sharia as Jalbul Maslaha wa Darul Masada. Simple maxim, legal maxim. The attainment of benefit, and benefit is not, doesn't do justice to the word maslaha. Maslaha is more, it's not just benefit, it's that which um, rectifies things, it's that which gives you benefit, it's full of goodness. This attainment of benefit for you and warding off, preventing, avoiding harm. They said the whole of Sharia, this is what it's here for. Nothing else. And this isn't some kind of modern, liberal, modernist kind of explanation of Sharia. No. The, the people like Aizuddin uh, Abdul Salam in Qawaid al-Kubra, he says this. He has a whole explanation, a whole book on this. Uh, Ibn Taymiyyah, rahmatullah alayhi. Uh, Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyah, uh, Imam Juwaini, Imam Ghazali, all of these scholars, great, great scholars, have, have talked about this. And this is well known in, in the usul al-fiqh. This is well known that the goal of sharia is, is to bring us benefit and to ward off harm. Now, someone might say, but how can there be benefit? I'm not allowed to do this. I can't enjoy that. I can't drink. I can't do X, Y, and Z. You know, and I'm troubled and I suffer. I can't do lots of types of businesses. I suffer financially. I have to give charity. I have to pay zakat. I lose out. You know, I can't sleep all morning. I have to wake up for fajr. They said the benefit and harm, there's so many different dimensions. There's short-term benefit, long-term benefit. There's apparent benefit and real benefit. There's benefit dunyawiyah. There's benefit in the dunya and there's benefit in the akhirah. So something, somebody's enjoying something haram. It is apparently a benefit. It is apparently an enjoyment. But the end result is harm. In the dunya and in the akhirah. In the dunya, someone becomes addicted to alcohol. Someone loses their job, their family. Someone harms themselves, kills someone on the road, etc., etc. In the akhirah, there's punishment. Because it's a sin. So like that, every single ruling in Sharia is beneficial either in the dunya and actually in both. It's not either. It's in the dunya and in the akhirah. It's real benefit. It's real maslaha. And it's taking away real harm. It's preventing harm from every single believer. This is the Sharia. So it's coming from a position of love and mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is how we have to approach Sharia. You know, one of the scholars 
I think it was uh, Abdullah ibn Mubarak. I can't remember exactly. One of the big scholars, he, he was on his deathbed. He's about to die. And let me ask you a question before I tell you the story. If you were given a choice on the day of judgment, <clears throat> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if he gave you a choice that you can be judged by your own mother or you can be judged by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who would you go for? Can, can any mother put their children in the hellfire? A mother will, no matter how bad his, her child is, she will say, let him go to the Jannah. Yes or no? No matter how bad that child is, the mother will say, I don't want him to burn in the hellfire. So your, your gut reaction, naturally, you brothers and sisters are educated and, and know the deen, so you will say Allah. But a lot of people naturally will say, yeah, I wouldn't mind my mother judging me because I know she's not going to put me in the hellfire. With Allah, yes, he's merciful, but I'm so bad, I know he's going to punish me. Do you understand? So this scholar is on his deathbed and he's really fearful. He's, you can see it in his face. He's fearing meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And his students are around him and they're trying to be positive and, and say, MashaAllah, you've done so many good works, you've taught us, you've spread knowledge, Allah will forgive you, have good opinion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing was working. And then this one student of his said, Ya Shaykh, know that if I was given the option of being judged between my mother and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment, I would choose Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have nothing to fear. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is the one out of hundred parts of mercy, He took one part and, and gave it to the whole universe. Out of that one part in the whole universe, your mother is not even an iota. She shares from that one part of mercy for you. The 99 parts are with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So don't worry, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is merciful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive. Well, just today I was listening to something. Somebody was narrating a story of a Bedouin who came to the Prophet and he said to the Prophet I think this was in the khutbah if you were here. And this is the same story. Because the Bedouin saying to the Prophet who will judge on the day of judgment, meaning will Allah himself judge us? He himself will do the accounts of us. And the Prophet said, yes, he himself will judge you. He will do the hisab on the day of judgment. And the Bedouin, you know, he started smiling. He started laughing. And the Prophet said, why, why do you laugh? What makes you laugh? And he said, I know if Allah is the one who is judging, he will overlook my sins. He will overlook my shortcomings. And whatever good I've done, he'll give me more than I deserve. So this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. And he's asked us to open the Qur'an with Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. And before we go into Ubudiyah, it's, it's from his attributes of Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. And the whole reason we go into Ubudiyah is out of love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
because of the favors he's done to us because of the is the rabbul alamin he's constantly nurturing us giving us so many gifts day in and day out so it's a when we go into ubudiyah it should be out of love and it, we should realize that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us the sharia is coming from a position of mercy not as a position of anger and wrath and punishment it's there and they said you have to balance it out without a doubt but allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself said inna rahmati ghalabat ghadabi indeed my mercy has overpowered my wrath my anger so this is the other point <clears throat> another point is practically what does this mean ubudiyah we can talk all night theory and you know explain different aspects but practically on a practical level what does this mean for me and you when we say iyyaka na'budu if we want to enter into the state of ubudiyah what does it mean practically ibn qayyim al-jawziyah he summarized it very nicely he said look sharia legal values there are five right something is obligatory wajib fard something is recommended like mustahab it's recommended to do like fard your fard salah you have to do it it's obligatory recommended some of your sunnah salahs it's recommended then you have mubah you have a category where it's neither fard it's not haram it's not disliked it's not recommended it's free it's up to you if you do it or not and then there's something makruh disliked and then there's something haram right is prohibited five categories everyone knows this he said for your whole body and uh, your speech your heart and your physical body each one there are there are things which fall under all these five categories so for example there are things that are fard on your tongue there are things that are recommended for your tongue there are things that are mubah it's neither recommend it's it's okay to do there's no reward there's no dislike there are things that are disliked there are things that are haram for example it is fard to speak the truth right it's recommended to do dhikr and if you're talking you need to talk about something it's mubah um if you're injuring somebody or say if you're lying that's haram or if you excessive talk that's makruh so all these five categories you can judge each word each sentence each part of your speech according to these five then do the same with your eyes your hearing your body and your heart the heart has these things as well like things which are haram diseases of the heart kibr arrogance pride ujub you know being amazed and impressed by oneself uh, jealousy all these things are in the heart so they also have these five categories if you if you count it like that each part of your body your heart and your speech your eyes your seeing and your in your hearing has many many actions that will fall in one of these five categories ubudiyah 
servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to guard over all of these actions and to ensure it falls in either the obligatory or the recommended or the mubah and to make sure it doesn't fall into the haram and obviously he'll be asking too much to make sure it doesn't fall into the makruh because you know we're not on that level we're not from that time and period where people actually could control that but do you understand is that clear so ubudiyah servitude on a practical level on a day-to-day -day level and this is a lifetime mission it's not easy it's we forget we don't even think about what we're listening to we don't even think about what we're watching or seeing we don't even think about our speech sometimes we talk as though nothing is accountable we don't much less think about the disease of the heart it's not there you can't see it if there's a something wrong with my hand there's a bruise or all of a sudden a, a, a blue black and blue spot appears I'll be rushing to the GP to find out is this problematic what is it but we have many many black and blue spots in our heart through the disease of the heart we don't rush to anybody because we can't see it so ubudiyah servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our monitoring our um, having a plan to improve in in all of these aspects our heart our speech our sight our hearing where our legs take us to where we walk to what we do with our hands all of this to ensure it doesn't fall in the haram try and avoid the makruh if we can but at least do all the things that are wajib fard on us and this is a lifetime mission obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ubudiyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah says to the prophet until yaqeen comes to you meaning until death comes to you it's a lifetime lifelong mission it's a daily mission it's a weekly mission and we should take account of ourselves on a daily basis at night think what have i done for the whole day in terms of my ubudiyah in terms of my speech my my sight my heart my my body what have i missed out what have i done haram what what obligations have i missed so in this way this is the practical aspect of ubudiyah which each and every one of us must pay attention to the next thing about ubudiyah is very important one is about salah we'll cover that in surah al-baqarah in the beginning but it's also important here i won't mention it because we don't have the time we'll cover it in surah al-baqarah inshallah but the other thing is this um, purpose of ubudiyah one of the things we do as a community we've come to learn ibadah worship ritual worship salah zakat hajj uh, fasting we've become very um, judgmental on just the outward shape and form of these things these things have become like habits to us but the goal of the quran the goal of the quran is to develop virtues in you and and me so the, the salah it, itself yes there are rules right where to hold your hand whether to say amen loudly or silently whether to read surah al-fatiha behind the imam except there's rules and regulations but are these rules mentioned in the quran 
Are these any of these rules? What does the Quran say? Quran that says, Aqim is salah, establish prayer. Or it says, Lidikri, establish prayer for my remembrance. Successful are indeed are those believers who are in their salah, khashi'un. The Quran only mentions the virtue of ibadah. It, it hardly goes into the, the, the rulings. It doesn't focus on, on the legalistic, the fiqhi rulings. Why? Because the end goal is the virtues. Inna salata tanha anil fahshai wal munkar. That the salah prevents you from fahsha and munkar. So the description of the salah is always to do with the virtue that you and I are supposed to develop as a result of ibadah. What's, what's happened to us is in every aspect of ibadah and iman, we have become sects, we have become groups. You're Hanafi, he's Shafi'i, he's Maliki. This person's Ash'ari, this person's Ahl Sunnah, this person's Ahl Hadith, this person is Sufi, this person is Maturidi. My way of Salah is better than yours, this is the most authentic. We become busy fighting with um, the less important aspects of Salah. Pray as you see me pray. Jazakallah khairan for Shaykh Albani who wrote the Sifatu Salat Rasulillah, the description of the prayer of the Prophet but he simply wrote the outward description. And which people are fighting, not just in Salah. If you look at activists, most are, are divided into groups, either based on fiqh or aqidah or some other manhaj methodology of bringing about change. But these are not the actual real essence of what the Qur'an talks about. Abu Hanifa rahmatullah if you don't backbite, if you pray tahajjud all night, if you spend your wealth on your students and your friends and colleagues, then you are a true Hanafi. If you, if you can humble yourself for your mother who goes to Shaykh so-and-so for fatwa while she has Abu Hanifa, Imam al-Azam, Al-Imam Al-A'udham in her house, but she prefers this other sheikh because that's how she's been brought up, always going to this sheikh, while her son is the greatest imam alive. And she says to his son, take me to so-and-so for fatwa. And he takes her. He doesn't say, you know, mom, give me some respect. You know? He doesn't say, oh, I, I know the answer. Look at all these people come to me. Why are you going to so-and-so? out of respect and, and, and loyalty to his mother. He takes her. And that sheikh sometimes asks Abu Hanifa the answer. On some things he asks him the answer. And he gives the answer and then he goes and tells his mother. If you can do that, then you can say you're Hanafi. Imam Malik, out of adab, respect for the Prophet wouldn't ride a horse in Medina. Imam Bukhari would make wudu and he'll be in, in, in purity, in a state of purity and make wudu for every hadith he wrote down. 
and Abdullah ibn Mubarak and all these great, great scholars and Sahabi and Tabi'een, they were focused on the essence of virtue, of qualities. So you're not, you're not Hanafi if you pray like this only. That is just you're following some formal rules. But the essence of the salah is, is what Abu Hanifa was doing at night, what the Prophet was doing at night. Or the state of the Prophet in the daytime in the Fard Salah. What was his state? What was his focus? What was his connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What is the essence of giving charity? Is it the amount you give? Is it that you declare to the rest of the world how much you're giving? Is it that you put your name on, on the donation? Or is it something else? With fasting, with hajj, same thing. So the Quran's approach is, is, is to look at the core, the essential, the virtues. The Quran wants to develop virtues. It's not interested in the other stuff is just a means. The rules, the fiqh, the, the detailed rulings, it's the icing on the cake. It's a means to an end. It's the way to get to the end. But the Quran wants to develop these essential virtues in us. And that's what the Quran is focused on. But we've turned it the other way around. Because why? The first thing we learn when we learn about Islam is the rules and regulations. They're important. I'm not, I'm not denying their importance at all. They are important. They're part of our deen. But that is the outward rules. And most of these things that people argue over is either the sunnah or additional based on ishtihad, etc., etc. But the actual real thing about the position of the heart Purification, the state you are with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your salah, khushu, khudu, this ta'a, this mahabba, this is forgotten about people. How can I break off my relation with a brother while the Quran says, innama al mu'minuna ikhwa? And then I break off my relationship, my brotherhood over a point of fiqh, over a point of you belong to this group, I don't belong to that group. You belong to this jama'ah, I don't belong to that jama'ah. How can you break Quranic verse, Quranic guidance? Because the reason why we can break it is we're focused on the additional aspects, the external aspects, the lesser important aspects. And we forget the essential, the core, the real end, the real purpose of the Quran. This is why we can break off the relation. Because he's not agreeing with my opinion. While the Quran says all the believers are but a brother, brotherhood. So this is very important to understand about Ubudiyah. That it's not about how much you do externally and how you do it. As long as it's within the Sharia, it's fine. But the, the crux of the matter is, is your state of servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What is the quality of your salah? And is it transforming you? Is your character... The Prophet, the Quran... It's the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the Quran needs, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is never in need of anything. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the Prophet with a khuluqin awdeen, with a vast, grand character. Why? Because the whole purpose of the Quran is to produce people of virtue and character. كَانَ خُلُقُهُ الْقُرْآنِ 
his khuluq, his character was the Qur'an. The Qur'an, you and I, if we take the Qur'an to the rest of the world, it's not going to work. Why? Because we haven't become the carriers of the essential message of the Qur'an. If we don't change, if our virtues are not there, if our characteristics, if we can't control our anger, if we don't have adab when we speak, if we don't uh, bind relationships instead of cutting them off, if we can't be truthful, if we can't be loyal, if we're not trustworthy, these are the essentials of the Qur'an. The, the, the ibadah is a means to achieve these. If we're not those characteristics, then we cannot give this message of the Qur'an to the rest of humanity. Even though this Qur'an is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it needed the one with the, the finest of character, the finest of virtues, to, to carry this Qur'an and to spread this, and then the sahabas, etc., so know that the Qur'anic approach of ubudiyah is supposed to make us pious, humble, truthful, generous, virtuous, loyal, trustworthy. These are the essences of this deen. It's not which group you belong to. It's not which imam you follow. It's not which party you belong to. It's not which mosque you belong to. This is ubudiyah, it's, it's itlaqan, it's without condition. And the last thing I'll say, I've gone on a bit longer than usual today. Um, again, it comes back to our real life situation. What is the condition of the Muslims today? What is the condition of our communities today? In the West, as I've mentioned a few times before, there is this sense of fear about what's happening to uh, the popular opinion out there, the rise of the far right, increase in discrimination, Islamophobia, etc., etc. There are lots of things happening. But this ubudiyah is beyond time and place. This ubudiyah, servitude, these essential qualities that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to see you and I develop, this is our purpose at all times, regardless of our context and situation, regardless of where I, I might be in. Uh, 10th century Baghdad in the middle of the Khilafah. I may be in 21st century New York or London. It doesn't matter. The ubudiyah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the same, is what's required, is my purpose in life. It doesn't matter about the external context. I'm not saying we don't do anything about it. This isn't uh, let's go into the caves and, or into the hills and stay away from society, not at all. This is about what is your primary response, purpose, goal, what is the core essence of your being. No matter where you are, geographically, or in terms of time, doesn't matter which century you're in, the ubudiyah has to be there. That is our goal. If that is fixed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will change the whole context. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the, has the power and the ability to change the whole environment. Not because you just pray and you don't do anything else. No. Ubudiyah, as I said, there's responsibility on your tongue, your eyes, your hands. It will include worship, servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It will include community work. It will include lobbying, campaigning, everything else. But the core has to be there as a community, as an individual. 
If it's there, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will change the entire context. He will change the power dynamics. He will change the way you're treated. And this is the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can see it in the seerah of the Prophet You can see it in the seerah of Yusuf alayhi salam. It, it's not always about gaining power and political power. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has also said, Tilka nas. That these are the days that we interchange between people. Sometimes you're victorious, sometimes you're powerful, sometimes you're weak, sometimes you're oppressed. But look at Yusuf salam. He went through so many different stages. He doesn't get to political power. He gets a job in the ministry. But look at him in the well, stuck in the well as a young boy and then enslaved and then in the, in the palace of the minister how he's treated, discriminated against or at false accusations. Then he's in prison. Look at all the different stages. But what is the one constant? It's ubudiyah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is always on point in terms of what is the reaction, what, demand, what is the demand of this situation. It's always the connection, obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then patience, sabr, sabrun jameel. These are the two things that's required for every believer. If we can understand this, you've understood the Qur'an. And if we can implement this, you will never ever be a weak or defeated community. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq. Inshallah, um, we'll carry on next week.